everybody, welcome to another episode of Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. I'm one half of the show, my name is Jeff. Right over there is the second half of the show, Mark A. Johnson. Mark, how are you doing this week? Oh my gosh, I've had better weeks, but um, you know what? It's it's down to the nitty gritty in baseball and it's getting up on playoff time and pennant chases. And so I always just, if I'm having a rough day, I just turn to baseball and there's all kinds of excitement going on there. Let's go Mets. Yeah. Yeah, you're you're geared on the Mets. Yeah, I, I am. I've I've been watching them all year, uh, just because I love the booth, and I, they're a fun team. And half of them are on the A's last year, so <laughs> I'm uh, I'm excited. I'm as excited as I can be going into the playoffs without my team being anywhere, you know, included. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, Mark, before we get started in BP, we've got some viewer input from last week when we were doing uh, Wax Packs Heroes. And I forget, I, I mean, I guess I've got the cards here from last week in front of me. You named somebody as being your favorite player named after weather. <laughs> it was J.T. Snow, but it was next to Chip Hale. <laughs> well, uh, first of all, thank you very much to Brian Krause. Brian is, uh, is a longtime listener. We really appreciate it. He's, uh, he's always chiming in, and we really appreciate him. He came in and he came in hard with some <laughs> other weather related names that we didn't come up with. And this, this is great. There are some, first of all, I'm, I'm embarrassed that we didn't come up with some of these, but the, the great list that he came up with, first of all, there's rich Gale. It's a good one. Hall of Famer, Tim Raines. That was, oh, that was the one I was <laughs> kicking myself for. There's also Steve rain. Uh, which, if he's on base, you say, like, well, Steve Rain's on base, which is close to Tim Rain's. Yeah, that's uh, true. Wendy McCall. Uh, <laughs> this is one we should have come up with. Mark Har- Mike Hargrove, the human rain delay. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> A couple of other really good ones. David Freeze. Ah. I don't know how he forgot Storm Davis. Come on. Oh, my gosh, the obvious one. Then there were a couple of nicknames, much along the lines of human rain delay. There was Gerald Williams. His nickname was Ice. And, of course, Hideo Nomo, the tornado. Yes. So Many, many weather-related names. There are. Yeah, that's a a good list of weather-related names in baseball. But thank you. Nice job, guys. Yeah, thank you, Brian. That's uh, good, good stuff, as always. All right, let's get into our BP segment before we start up the main segment of the show and uh, make sure that we're, we're ready to go. I saw this on social media, and this made me chuckle, Mark. Uh, with the bases getting a little bit bigger next season, announcers are really going to have to change their vernacular when they're describing things. So get this. Imagine, imagine this. Bottom of the ninth inning, two away. Lars Newtbar represents the tying run 89 feet 9 inches away. It, it just doesn't sound right, does it? No, it really does not roll off the tongue much, uh, does it? But a uh, uh, really cool thing happened last week. So in Chicago, workers were renovating some buildings and turning them into apartments. These were, used to be uh, a building that the Chicago Tribune was housed in. And they came across a couple of time capsules. They were metal boxes that were embedded within the cornerstones of this building. So they opened them up, and inside one of these boxes was a baseball. And it was a really old baseball. It was burst at the seams and kind of like it was, uh, it kind of looked like it had turned a liquid part of it. 
<laughs> but there was a note along with the ball explaining that this ball had been used by Hod Eller of the Cincinnati Reds in the fifth game of the 1919 World Series against the White Sox. Wow. A.K.A. the Black Sox. This is That's 1919. Right. In this game, Eller struck out the side in both the second and third innings, which was a World Series record that has since been matched in 1966 by show favorite and patron saint of two-strike noise, Mo Drabowski. Uh, we'll give him the benefit of the doubt that all six of those strikeouts were legitimate, but it was that's, pretty cool. Uh, that's really super cool to have found something like that that really relates to um, uh, pop culture, how we look at the 1919 Sox these days. Yeah, and because it was the Chicago Tribune, I'm assuming that people from the paper put these in there because there was a typed-up note from yeah. with with letterhead that said Chicago Tribune about all the information about this ball. One of the interesting things about this ball, especially though, is there is a small spot on it that is a different color than the rest of the hide, and that is believed to be the residue of some paraffin wax, which Eller was known to use when he threw his shine ball. <laughs> Yes, they had not outlawed the shine ball oh, yet. He yeah, used it was, it and so did um, it was Eddie Seacott had a shine ball. Oh, did he? In 1919, yeah. Yeah, because he, he started game one for the White Sox, if I recall, and he yeah. hit the first batter, and that yes. was the sign to the, uh, to the guys behind the scenes that the fix is on. That's right. I do not know. I've heard paraffin wax, but is that easy to smuggle out to, out to the mound to use? Yeah, it's, it's clear. Really? I mean, so see, I've never seen it use. When I think of wax, I think of a candle. Like, he's got a candle out there, he has to light it and then drop some wax. On. Obviously, <laughs> that's not It's not quite like that. No. no, it's not like that. All right. All right, well, let's, uh, hey, we've got a Lars Newtbar update. We're getting down to the end of the season. Lars Newtbar looks like he's going to definitely be in the playoffs, so that'll be exciting to watch. But Lars is becoming an average Major League Baseball player right before our eyes. That's nice. Yeah, because he, I mean, his numbers have not been average until now. But he's, I mean, he's hes 25 years old, or no, he's 24 years old. And this is his second season. He hasn't even played a full season in baseball. So it's kind of fun to watch him become a better player. His on-base percentage is now 336, which is above the league average of 312. Nice job, Lars. Yeah, he has 12 home runs this year in 295 plate appearances. So if you kind of break out the old abacus and extrapolate that to a full 600 plate appearance season, that's 24 home runs, which is above average as well. So Very nice. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Lars. Lars, can you guess what his war is this year? Well, um, well, I mean, you 1. can. 6. Will you? Will you guess what is or is one point six? One point nine. Not bad. Yeah, that's great. That's almost two wins above a replacement level player. That is really pretty uh, spectacular. Hey, he's only going to get better, Jeff. I hope so. And, and like I said, he's only twenty four years old. His fielding percentage is right at league average, but his defensive run save above average is five. Ooh. So, yeah. I mean, we've highlighted a couple of really nice defensive plays uh, throughout the year, and people have certainly tagged us as soon as he does, which we appreciate. Oh, we love that. Yeah, That's the I best. do love. I, if I see our, our mentions light up and I haven't <laughs> tweeted something ridiculous, my first thought is Lars Newtbar did something. Yeah, I'm, I get texts. <laughs> oh, something happened with Lars. Yeah. <laughs> 
All right, this show is debuting on September 20th, and we've got some good debuts today. First of all, debuting in 1887 today, Patsy Tabot. Now, the country singer? No, (laughs) it's very close. Patsy Tabot, we've mentioned before. And I'll tell you why here in a minute. Let me, let me, I've, I've written how I want to go through this. So to Patsy Tabot, baseball was, quote, a blood sport. So this is, uh, this is a quote about Patsy Tabot, or from Patsy. He said, we never thought of greeting our opponents. Our idea was to get out there and lick them and lick them good and quick, which is kind <laughs> of an odd, some odd strategy. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think they were actually talking about using the tongue to lick. But yeah, I think that's... What do I know? I think that, I think, I think that's probably means... I think we know that means kick them in the, kick them in the rear. Beat them down. Good and quick. Sure? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Okay. Uh, he I goes on to say, I can see some guy sliding back to first with me playing the bag and getting his head bumped with the ball. Get your mutt out of the way and you won't get hurt would be more like it. Is what he says. (laughs) So that's just bringing a tag down hard. If it's a throwback to first, you still you still see that today. Oh yeah. And there are guys that are known for being very rough when they're slapping a tag on people. Well, you got to get that ball down there quick. Yeah, and you know if you maybe bruise somebody and get them off their game a little bit, so be it. Or if like a guy I used to play with, every time you tag somebody out like that, you yell, "Taste it." Um, that doesn't generally go over that <laughs> Wow, well. yeah, I can see him <laughs> tasting my fist if somebody did funny, that. Though. Yeah. Uh, so Patsy was a player manager for the Cleveland Spiders. There's, uh, there's a oh, hint. Nice. From 1890 through 1898. Hmm, wonder what happened to the Spiders in 1899 that he wouldn't have been the manager. <laughs> well, that's because he was not removed from the team because of lack of results through his managerial years. He was a player manager at that point, too, mind you. Uh, but he, along with Cy Young and a couple of others, were moved from the Spiders to the other team that the owners owned, the Browns. That sounds like a great episode to re-listen to if you haven't heard about it. Yeah, already. go back. It is a fun one. It, yeah. That's a crazy story. So it should be mentioned that, as I said, he was the player manager at this point. He became a player manager when he was only 25 years old. Wow. Yeah, he had some smarts on him. He only played for two seasons of his entire career that he was also not managing, and he did play for 13 years. So he was managing it most of the time. He used tactics which are a little bit questionable. Uh, Sometimes he would shove a runner off base and tag him out when the umpire's attention was elsewhere. (laughs) um, (laughs) Kent Herbeck is on board with that. Yeah, yeah. Watch out Ron Gant. (laughs) Yeah, another time Chief Zimmer uh, was a teammate of his, was hit by a pitch, but the umpire missed the play and said he was not hit. So Patsy came out and complained, and during the argument, he inconspicuously pinched Zimmer's arm. Well, he was talking to the umpire, and then he held up Zimmer's arm and pointed to the bruise, who uh, then awarded Zimmer first base. <laughs> hey, you, you got to get on base. There's got to be a way. These are really some, well, I mean, they're not exactly fair, but I mean, they are definitely you ways. You to get on base. I didn't say anything about fair. Yeah. He was also known for verbally abusing umpires and opposing players, like a lot. He and Cap Anson were two guys that were pinpointed as being 
some really crass individuals. And eventually baseball enacted what were called the brush rules after a guy named Brush. And it was thought that they were targeting specifically Patsy and Cap Anson. So interesting. After retiring from baseball, he ran a saloon in St. Louis. Uh, Unfortunately, in 1918, his wife left him. And shortly after that, he committed suicide. Not good. That's all we're going to say about Patsy. Also, making their debut today in 1980, Ken Phelps. (laughs) Ken Phelps of Seinfeld fame. Digger, Kenneth Allen Phelps. Yeah, so I didn't know. Ken Phelps was born and raised in Seattle. I didn't know that either. And uh, I specifically did not know this. He played a season or a, a, a year for Washington State. Under coach Bobo Braden. He played for Bobo. He played for Bobo. Now, if you are not listening to this in the Pacific Northwest, I think I might have mentioned Bobo once or twice, but he is an absolute Washington State legend. He was the head coach there in Pullman for a very long time, and he was the head coach there when I was calling games and went to school there. And this guy was just a character. He, If I had to tell you who he looked like, just imagine Don Zimmer. That is, he talked like that too. Like we do his voice and it was like this. This is how Bobo talked. And he had that kind of rubbery face like Zim had. And he was just a character. He would have fit right in playing in the 20s. And he was just so fun to be around because he had a million stories. And it was just, couldn't believe that when I read that Ken Phelps played for Bobo Braden. Ken Phelps was drafted four times. Wow. And uh, eventually, after he played some at uh, Arizona State, he eventually ended up signing with the Kansas City Royals and then started his career from there. Ken Phelps was Wally pipped by Alvin Davis after getting injured with the Mariners. Then the Mariners called up their their future franchise first baseman and never looked back. That's right. The great Mr. Mariner. A.D. Allen Davis. Allen yeah. Davis. So you can say he was he was Wally Pipped or he was uh, he was Ken Phelps. That's right. <laughs> uh, also, obviously, one of the most uh, talked about trades in baseball history. What the hell did you trade Jay Buna for? <laughs> he had 30 home runs and over 100 RBIs last year. He's got a rocket for an arm. You don't know what the hell you're doing. <laughs> well, Buna was a good prospect, no question about it. But my baseball people love Ken Phelps bat. They kept saying, Ken Phelps, Ken Phelps. <laughs> Just a, I never tire of that. You know, Ken Phelps, though, had some big, uh, big home runs. He did have a good bat. And I don't know, Mark, if you remember this, it's uh, April 20th, 420, very nice, 1990. Seattle Mariners at the Oakland Athletics. Brian Holman on the mound for the Mariners. He has a perfect game going. Oh, man, I remember it like it was yesterday. Two outs, bottom of the ninth inning, and Ken Phelps is sent up to pinch hit for Mike Gallego. And here is the Hall of Famer Dave Niehaus on the call. Is 9.53 at night. The pitch swung on the fly ball, belted deep to right. Cut out to the track, fly away. First pitch, a high fastball, and Kenny Phelps 
As Joe has gone back down. Wow. There was... Uh, yeah, that one hurt. <laughs> that one, just the, the air go out of Dave Niehaus. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it happened all across the Northwest. There was a, a giant sucking sound. And it yeah. was all the air being let out of the... Well, he, he did go on to strike out Ricky Henderson, the next batter, to end up with a one hit. Sure. But, <laughs> man, it was a perfect game. It yeah. was a perfect game. Oh, God, I'll never forget that. It was just like most brokenhearted. Oh. Uh, Dave Niehaus was taking a page from the Vin Scully book of broadcasting by giving the time right before the, the, the pitch right. came out. <laughs> Whenever there's anything historic, you got to give that time. That's right. As many times as you can. Uh, a couple of other names. Now, I thought these two names we were not going to talk about because we just talked about them last week in Wax Packs Heroes. But making their debut today in 1981 was Gary Gaetti. Nice. And then making his, de- de- his debut today in 1992 was J.T. Snow, the aforementioned weather. <laughs> the precipitation man. Yes. So we, we had them both in, we had Gary Gaetti in the last two Wax Packs Heroes, but we had them both last week and then they made their debut on the same day this week. So, and then the final guy I wanted to bring up, 1998, Roy Halladay made his debut Halliday, the fifth pitcher in Major League history to win a Cy Young Award in both the American and National League. He joined Gaylord Perry, Pedro Martinez, Randy Johnson, and Roger Clemens, which that nice. is quite a uh, quite a group there. That's a good starting five <laughs> if you yeah. can if you can get it. Let's see. He pitched a perfect game on May twentieth, two thousand and ten, and then later that year in the NLDS on October sixth. Pitched a no-hitter. I remember watching that game. Nice. I remember exactly where I was when I watched that game. Like I can remember watching, you know, having watched games, but I remember that one specifically because that was just a masterful, masterful game. He was part of a deal that sent him from Toronto to Philadelphia. Included in that deal was Travis Darneau, who is <laughs> still active today. Yeah, still playing. Yeah, that shocked me when I saw a name of somebody that is still like an everyday player uh, involved in that trade. Of course, he died in a tragic plane crash in the Gulf of Mexico in uh, Florida in 2017, and he was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2019. Great career. Overall, 203 and 105 record, 3.38 ERA. He has a save in his career, too, by the way. But he led the league in complete games, wow, at one point, five years in a row, and wow. seven years total. He led he just, the... It's a lost art, man. Well, I mean, he was a horse, too. Oh, gosh, yes. He was 6'6", 225. <laughs> wow. And he could bring it. Yeah, he definitely could. So that is, uh, that's our debut segment for this week. That's a good handful of debuts. And with that, we're going to let the ground screw come out. They got to earn their money. And uh, we'll get into the main segment of the show. All right. So today, Mark, I had, I, I don't, I don't remember this, and it's weird because this only happened twenty years ago. <laughs> I think that's what happens when you get old. You you tend to forget things. But uh, I texted you, uh, I texted you a while ago and said, "Hey, do you remember in two thousand and one that uh, the Bud Selig announced that they were going to contract two major league teams for the next year?" Contraction. Yeah. Boy, I, I hadn't thought about that in I don't know how long. I literally do not remember any of this. And so this was a, a very interesting article. Well, not article. I didn't write the article, but I read many articles and, and wrote down what I'm going to talk about here. So let's jump 
into the Wayback Machine, and let's head back to 2001. Also known as the last time the Seattle Mariners made the postseason, as of now. Yes, as of as of <laughs> at least for the next week or so. Yes. So the Diamondbacks will go on to defeat the Yankees in the World Series. The season, of course, was interrupted by the tragic 9-11. I don't even know what to say when I say 9-11. I mean, it's... If you were alive at that point, you you get an emotion that you know what happened. Uh, also, Tony Gwen would retire and Ricky Henderson would record his 3,000th hit. The Minnesota Twins finished second in the Central, six behind Cleveland, and the Expos stumbled to a 68-94 mark, last place in the National League, 20 games behind the division-winning Atlanta team. Also, immediately after the final run off of Mo Rivera across the plate in Arizona to end a great World Series, Commissioner Bud Selig announced a couple of days later that Major League Baseball was planning on contracting two teams for the 2002 season, the Montreal Expos and the Minnesota Twins. Now, the Expos had never been able to get a consistent winner together, and they struggled to draw, obviously. That was always a big deal in Olympic Stadium. They didn't even have an English-speaking radio deal, and they had proposed several different new stadiums, but none of them had ever been able to be agreed to. The Twins were a different story, though. They were only a decade removed from winning the World Series, and they just completed a good season, and they would even go on to make the playoffs the next year. Spoiler alert, if you're re-watching Major League Baseball seasons without knowledge of... <laughs> and if you the, are, we want to hear from you. Yes. We oh, want to know I what's would, going on. I would love to hear from somebody doing that. The vote to contract was 28 to 2. Now, obviously, the Twins and Expos voted against this, but yes. every other owner was on board. This seems like collusion of a different sort. It's like out of an Ayn Rand novel. It is ridiculous. The... I'm, I'm still befuddled by this, by the way. But had this happened, this would have been baseball's first contraction since, now wait for it, the 1899 Cleveland Spiders. Wow. Now, Mark, wow. I think we should be charging on these master classes on podcasting. Again, because you mentioned something in the opening segment, and then we tie it in in the next segment here again. It's pretty impressive. It, I, I agree. It, it is. I'm, I'm very... Impressed with us. So while formulating this plan, MLB had originally identified 18 teams as potential contraction candidates. Wow. There were 30 teams in the league at this point. They had seriously considered more than half of them. We're going to get rid of them. Mm -hmm. Then they had narrowed it down to eight. The, uh, the, uh, I don't even think you want to call it the great eight, but they were the Anaheim Angels of whatever. I think they were, yeah, they weren't the California Angels. They were Anaheim at that point. Or maybe the LA Angel, the Angels. One of the, one of the 11 names they've used in the last <laughs> the 12 Angels, years. The Angels, yeah. yeah. Uh, the Diamondbacks, who were an expansion franchise, like pretty new at that point, and had just won the World Series. Okay. Florida, the Florida Marlins, then Florida, not Miami. The Kansas City Royals, the Twins, the Expos, the Padres, and Tampa Bay. So, first of all, all of those are expansion teams at some point, right? Yes. Yeah. So, by July in 2001, they had narrowed it down to four teams. So, they narrowed it down to, we're just going to say Angels for now on. They narrowed it down to the Angels, the Twins, the Expos, and the Rays. So get this, though, the Anaheim 
contraction was going to be something. They were going to contract Anna, the angels. I just got to say angels. And then they were going to have the A's move from Oakland down south and take the angels' place in Anaheim. Weird. That is really strange. Yeah. I could have been a, an L.A. A's fan. Yeah, can you imagine all the all those players like w- would have gone back into a free agency or a draft pot or something? Well, I'll, I'll get to that. Okay. Cause, okay. Uh, yeah, because I mean that is you I'm have to consider this. that. Yeah. So during the 1990s and the early 2000s, the Twins were often rumored to be moving to such places as Sacramento. Mm-hmm. So you would have had three teams in Northern <laughs> California, less than 90 minutes away from each other. That's uh, <laughs> that is something. Uh, Orlando, Florida, also Nashville, Tennessee, one of those teams that is always trying to to lure a team, a major league team. And uh, there were some others in more financially competitive markets. But in 1997, the team actually, the Twins, came very close to moving to Charlotte, North Carolina. Well, that would have been weird. Yeah, that would have been uh, that would have been something as well. The Twins never thought that it would get this far in terms of them being announced as being contracted. They wanted a new stadium to replace the then only 19-year-old Metrodome. And, you know, they threatened to leave as a ploy to get this new stadium. But they, they're like, no, we're just going to move. We don't want to not be a team. Uh, a subplot, though, to the Twins being one of the teams is that Bud Selig was the commissioner at this point, remember. And he had signed the ownership of the Brewers over to his daughter. We know Bud was still running the team. Right. But if the, if the Twins had gone away... That would have expanded the Brewers fan base, no doubt. So I have a feeling that if this were to ever happen, that might have been part of the point between getting trying to get rid of the Twins. Up north, further up north, there were no plans for a new ballpark in Montreal. Major League Baseball had been looking into relocating them for quite a while. Cities that were being considered for relocation, of course, there's Washington, D.C. Spoiler alert, that's where they'll end up. Also, Las Vegas. Ah, that sounds familiar. Norfolk, Virginia, which I get it. It's close enough to D.C. And I think that would have, you know, been far enough away from Baltimore that maybe the Orioles don't complain as much. I don't know. Yeah, no, I I could see that. Monterey, Mexico. I bet they could fill a stadium. I, I bet they could. I bet they could fill a very large stadium, too. And finally, Portland, Oregon, who... Sure. Boy, they were really in the running when the A's started talking about leaving. But now I haven't heard much from from Oregon about baseball much anymore. But the contraction plan was still on course with the owners of both teams set to receive a two hundred and fifty million dollar buyout to let Major League Baseball take control of and then fold both of their franchises. So on November 16th, so this is just 10 days after the announcement that they were going to contract for the next season, the plans were essentially doomed when a Hennepin County, Minnesota judge ruled that the Twins must honor their lease and play their final season at the Metrodome, citing the team's importance to the community. So you couldn't just contract one team because there would have been an odd number of teams so there would have had to be a day off for somebody every day and would have made it all but impossible to preserve a 162-game schedule within the normal six-month season. I was thinking about this in the shower this morning. Shower thoughts by Two Strike Noise. 
why not just give a team an entire series off at every point? So during the season, your team, instead of just having an off day, has three or four days off at one point. You get you can rest people. You can reset your pitching rotation. It takes some wear and tear off of players. I don't think that's a bad idea. I don't know. I, I got to give it some thought. I'm going to submit this to Major League Baseball. Ah, what okay, are we, they'll they, listen to us. Yeah, they're listening to us anyway. I, doesn't yeah. matter. I don't have to submit it. They'll just steal it. <laughs> so Jeffrey Loria, uh, Loria did end up selling the Expos to Major League Baseball for $120 million. You know, the Angels, we, we've been talking about, a lot about the Angels. They're thought to be going on the market soon here. So... If Loria sold the Expos for $120 million, I looked up what they think the asking price for the Angels is going to be. Ooh. Currently valued at $2.2 billion with a wow. B. Wow. That's a, quite a step up from $120 million. Man. MLB formed Expos Baseball LP, which was a partnership involving all other 29 clubs to operate the Expos. So the other clubs are operating this team. So I'm guessing the other clubs in the same division are not going to, we're not going to spend any money. We're yeah. just going to go with rookies. Loria then went on to buy and bring a World Series to Florida with the Marlins in 2003. He bought the Marlins from John Henry for $158 million. He used the proceeds from the, the buyout. Plus, he then took a no-interest loan worth almost $40 million from MLB. Wow. No interest. Yeah, no interest. I don't mm-hmm. know if it's been paid off yet. <laughs> so Henry then, of course, went on to buy the Boston Red Sox from the Yawkeys. They're just, pat- it's like a hot potato. You're just going from one team to another. Of course, John Henry won a World Series or two, but... More importantly, he also went on to buy the Liverpool Football Club, who, of course, have gotten back to their dominating ways under Henry, except for whenever we play Man City. And Man City sucks. I, that was, nah, you lost me. Yeah, that was just a little... Uh, I'm just throwing that in there. Now we go to September 29th, 2004. Major League Baseball officially announced that the Expos would relocate to Washington, D.C. for the 2005 season. So MLB came out and said they they think there were several reasons why this contraction did not work. And they placed the blame mainly on the fact that they failed to quote unquote pre-sell contraction to the media. (laughs) So what this means is that they wanted to lay out before any announcement was made that they were going to try and contract. They wanted to start talking to the media about why contraction would be a good idea and why fans should accept it. So they wanted fans to then think, hey, this is going to put a better product on the field for me to watch. Even if they had done this, though, I don't know how this would have worked because they had more than half the league on their list to be contracted. Did they really think the media in those markets are going to go, you know, the media that makes their living covering those teams go out and say, hey, this is why it'd be a good idea if our team left or was contracted? Yeah, you're kind of up against uh You're between a rock and a hard place at that point. Now, I found some really interesting quotes from some very well-known baseball names, ESPN baseball names. I'm talking Carl Ravage, Tim Kirkjian, all these guys that are are lifers, kind of ESPN covering baseball. I found some quotes of them absolutely carrying water for Major League Baseball. 
Their yeah. quotes on this was exactly what I just said. Carl Ravitch was like, this will be great for the average baseball fan. You're going to get such a better product on the field and blah, blah. I could not believe it. But that's what happens when you've got a league that basically dictates what your network can and does with your product. Looking back at this now, I think it's pretty obvious that this was a ploy the entire time. They were never going to actually contract because as you said at the beginning of this, you can't just contract two teams. You've got to buy out the owners, which they did. But what about all the players in that organization? Not just the 50 that are on the active roster between the two teams, but the entire minor league organization, all those players. The players union would never allow that. No. And the first the players union heard of this was when Bud Selig announced it, which also (laughs) tells me that they were just this was never going to happen. Plus, you've got TV contracts and sponsorships. That's a ton of money that you're dealing with that you get up front that now you're going to have to pay back. And that's that's a lot of money. The twins, though, they needed a new stadium. Guess what? They got one. The Expos needed to move. Guess what? They did. And it, it worked. So while this was really kind of a, a dirty, awful thing to do, it accomplished exactly what Major League Baseball wanted it to do. This is true. Unfortunately, a lot of this stuff still goes on today, especially here in Oakland and in Tampa, which were oddly enough two of the teams mentioned in the contraction relocation talks of 2001. Don't know if I just wiped it from my memory or what, but I did not remember any of that from 2001. That's a pretty amazing story because uh, just like you mentioned right there, uh, how have I not thought about that in years? Yeah, I'm you know, I just don't a know. Big story. How did yeah, I I'm kind of surprised it's not still talked about more. I mean, yeah. put it in Google, you're going to come up with 8,000 articles about it. And some of them are even new. And when I googled it initially, I was a little bit surprised at how much there was because I really didn't remember it and you know, that's what you and I do, Mark. We sit around and talk about baseball and remember mundane things that that's right. should be in our memories. And this one was was not. So fortunately, both franchises are still around. Yes. Uh, that's going to do it for our main segment, Mark. That means it is time to head to uh, everybody's favorite one-on-one, 1v1, cardboard-related, cardboard-centric uh, combat series. It is time for Wax Pack Series. All right, Mark, uh, looking at scoreboard, I righted the ship last week. I'm not sure that it's going to be. <laughs> I'm not I sure that. I had you too. I, I had a good score. Yeah, I'm not sure the course correction is going to be able to be maintained. But currently, I am on top eight to seven, which normally 15 games into the season, you're usually up like 10 to five. So I'm feeling good. Uh, last week, we started to open some 2003 tops, and there are so many cards in the packs here that we didn't get through them all. So today we're going to have kind of a shortened version. There are 14 cards remaining. They put 34 cards in these packs. That's uh, that's a lot. So we're going to have seven each Mark. And so I'm going to let you decide. Do you want the seven that I have in my left hand or my right hand? I'm going to go with the left hand. 
So uh, if you are new here, we're going to, well, I'll run through the rules here. Because if you're new, you want to know what the heck we're doing instead of just talking. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to look at these cards. We're going to take the baseball reference war of the year of the cards, which, as I said, is 2003. But we're also going to, beyond adding those up, we've got a couple of qualifiers. If there is anything on this player's face, meaning glasses, mustache, eye black, uh, if they uh, are crying because they just watched the last episode of MASH again, if there's a tear on their face, it counts. Uh, You're going to get an extra tenth of a point for each of those. If they're wearing real stirrups, we can see sanitary white or gold sanitary socks underneath. You're going to get an extra tenth of a point. But if you are wearing two-in-ones that we can see, that's a minus tenth of a point. If you are wearing sweatbands with your caricature or jersey number, if you played any of your final three seasons in Seattle, if your batting helmet has two flaps or no flaps, or if you are batting without batting gloves, each of those is going to get you an extra tenth of a point of war. If you won any awards in the year of the cards, meaning Rookie of the Year, Cy Young, MVP, if you were an All-Star or won a gold glove, you get a half a point of war for each. If there is a Hall of Famer on the card, whether that is the person we are talking about or not, that is a whole extra point of war. If Ricky Henderson appears on either in any of these cards, I get a plus five. And if Nolan Ryan appears on any of these cards, uh, Mark is going to get a plus five. But again, this is 2003, so... Might be rough for me. 2003 was Ricky's final year, if I remember correctly. So, I mean, it's it's possible. All right. Uh, we're also each going to pick a team. And uh, anytime that team comes up, it's going to be a plus half a point for the person who picked it or a minus half a point if the other person picked it. So, Mark, who's your team this week? I am going to go with the Orioles. All right. I put Oilers because I'm in hockey mode. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Well, you know, we talked about the Expos uh, moving, and they didn't move until 2005, But I'm so I'm going to go with the Expos. Nice. All right, so I'm going to have you go first, Mark, and here we go. You are going to start off with a, a guy that I thought, you know, he always had good power, but he just, uh, he was never... He was an above average, but never anything more than just a little bit above average. For the Angels, it is Orlando Palmero. Oh, yeah. The second most famous Palmero in baseball. That's a challenge to our listeners to come up with a... Yeah, that's a rough one. A third most famous uh, Palmero. (laughs) There you go. Let's see. Orlando Palmero. Overall, he played 13 years in the big leagues. Most of it was with the Angels. Eight, and then four with Houston, and then one with St. Louis. In 2003, it was that lone season in St. Louis. 141 games he played in the outfield. 271 average, 336 on base. Uh, Wow, I said he had power. He really did not have any power at all, did he? Career 12 home runs in 13 years. Okay, maybe not. Yeah, no power at all. But uh, he did get on base, 351 career on base and a 274 average. And uh, overall, that is an 82 OPS plus for the year and a war of minus 0.5. Ouch. They, they, missed, they wanted some more power from him, I guess. I guess so. What's uh, the defense on this guy? My gosh. Uh, well, let's see. First of all, on the card, there is nothing that is going to help you. So that is going to be a minus 0.5 to start out with. Orlando Palmero, interestingly enough, born exactly one day before me. Wow. He's, so he is already retired. Oh, I'm sure. 
<laughs> He'd be hurting if he weren't. 13 seasons, he committed eight errors in his career. Wow. Total. So that is, uh, that's very good. A lot of uh, good defense out there, I guess, to make up for those lack of home runs. Well, you know, you spoke of the most famous Palmero. Does not mention this on the baseball reference page. Cousin of Rafael Palmero. Oh, he is a cousin. Yeah, okay. so there you go. All right, so you're starting off strong with a minus point .5. That's a good start right there. All right, next you have got a Houston Astros pitcher. It is Dave Malecki. Dave Malecki. Dave Malecki. The, not Bob uh, Malecki. Not Bob Malecki, which doesn't, doesn't Malecki start with ML just like Malecki does here? I think so, yeah. Wait, maybe it's, a, I don't know. Well, Dave Malecki. He ended up pitching for 10 years in the big leagues. Four with the Mets. He was the Tigers, Dodgers, Cleveland, Houston. Bounced around a bit at the end of his career. Unfortunately for you, 2002 was his final year in the big leagues. He finished with a 66 and 80 mark of 4.72 ERA. And uh, he wore a lot of different numbers. Uh, the good news for you on this card, he has got a goatee, as a lot of guys did in 2003. Now, the interesting thing about these cards is there is an action shot, but then down by their name, there is in the shape of a baseball diamond, just a headshot. And in that, he is wearing sunglasses as well. Okay. So you will get two tenths of a point out of this, even though he didn't play. I'll take it. All right, so you're at minus point three. I like this so far. Next, you have got a uh, second baseman for the Milwaukee Brewers. It is Eric Young, the senior. Ah, uh -huh, yes, the senior. Good ball player. At that point, just known as uh, Eric Young, of course. Sure. Let's see. Uh, EY spent 15 years in the big leagues. Five with Colorado, four with the Dodgers, and then two apiece for a slew of teams. In uh, 2003, he spent time with Milwaukee and San Francisco. Appeared in 135 games, uh, 336 on base. He hit 15 home runs, 34 RBI, and stole 28 bases. He had 465 career stolen bases. Wow. That's yeah, he was lot. quick. He was quick. Yeah, probably his career year came in 96 when he was, he was an all-star with Colorado. Led the league with 53 steals. He hit 324, a 393 on base, and was an all-star that year. But uh, let's see, for 2003, that equals a 91 OPS plus. And altogether, wow. He was traded to the Giants. Well, first of all, he started out with Milwaukee, where he had a .6 war. Then he got traded to the Giants, where he had a minus .8 war. <laughs> so that'll be a minus .2. And there's nothing on this card that's going to help you out. This is this is the lamest pack ever. This I think this pack was probably meant for me, but uh, <laughs> you, that's it. you did choose it. Uh, we did mention that he does have a son, Eric Young Jr., playing in the big leagues, or at least he was. Uh, senior also uh, apparently remarried, I guess, and welcomed a son, Dallas Dupree Young, who is an actor and is apparently in Cobra Kai. No kidding. Yeah. I'm, there's no picture here, so I don't know what he looks like. Uh, he plays Kenny Payne, which is considered a main role. So I have not watched the last two seasons of Cobra Kai, and I don't have a good memory. So I don't remember who those are. 
But uh, he's been on a lot of different shows as well. Very interesting. I did not know. All right. So you are at minus 0.5 with four cards left. I like Ouch. it. I like this. All right. Next, you got a guy. Uh, this could help. This guy was a good pitcher for quite a while. In fact, I think he was pitch, still pitching t- up till a couple of years ago. Here with the Brewers, it's Ben Sheets. And dancing in the sheets. Oh, I was going to go Ben three sheets to the wind. Or is it's it five that. sheets to the wind? I think that's when no. you're really drunk. It's five yeah, sheets. Yeah, it's generally three, but if you can get to five, congratulations. <laughs> congratulations if you can walk. Uh, let's see. Ben Sheets, 10 years in the big leagues, eight of it with Milwaukee. Debuted in 2001. His final game was in 2012. So it was a little bit ago, but he went three or four years without pitching and then made a comeback. In 2003 with the Brewers, he went 11 and 13 with a 4.45 ERA. Struck out 157 in 220 innings and ended up with a 97 ERA plus, and that is good for a war of 2.4. Woo! That will yes. finally get you out of the hole. There is nothing on this card, unfortunately, though, that's going to help you anymore. Ben Sheets um, has two sons, Seaver and Miller Bennett. Uh, Seaver, of course, named after Tom Seaver, which is pretty cool. Oh, I thought he was. Uh, I thought he was named after the uh, Seaver family and Growing Pains. That would you say Growing Pains? <laughs> no, I did. I did not. I don't uh, want to watch that show. Yeah, no, no. Unless it's Ted Dance and rapping about it on Cheers. Oh well, yeah. then. Yes. Yeah. Uh, also enjoys g- Cajun food, including jambalaya and uh, crawfish etouffee. Oh, gotta love it. Oh, how awesome is this? Sheets is also part owner of the AHL's Milwaukee Admirals. Ooh, ooh, a little. I hockey. have been nice. to many Milwaukee Admirals games uh, because they used to be in the I think it was the IHL at that point when I was in Salt Lake and they'd come and play Salt Lake all the time okay so that gets you up to 1.9 all right so you've got three cards left here you've got an outfielder for the Baltimore Orioles which is your team which is hey hey, there we go Jay Gibbons oh yes very nice Uh, an Oriole Let's see, J. Jonathan Gibbons. That's like J. Jonah Jameson. Let's see, uh, nine years in the big league, seven with Baltimore, and then two final years with the Dodgers. In 2003, he appeared in 160 games uh, in both right field and first base. He hit 277, a 330 on base, 23 home runs, 100 RBI, very nice. And all that equates to a 106 OPS+. plus. And that is good for a 1.5 war. Plus he is positive. Yeah. Plus he is on the Orioles. That is an even two. Uh, nothing else on that card is going to help you out, but that's another positive for you. Gibbons, one of those guys who uh, LASIK surgery saved his career. Same with me. Yeah. I remember I was playing softball two nights after my LASIK sur- surgery. Really? It was a brand new world. It was it was fantastic. I could see I, everything. I had my surgery so long ago that I'm wearing glasses again. Uh, I yeah, I got to wear reading glasses as they yeah. as they told you. All right, so you're down to two cards now. You've got a Mariner. That's fun, all right. Fun for you at least. Uh, it is shortstop Carlos Guillen. Carlos Guillen. He could hit. He was a pretty good hitter. Pretty decent. Shortstop, too. Yeah, I remember. I uh, always liked him. I remember when he was on the Mariners. Uh, he was one of those guys that was always pretty solid. 
He was in the Freddy Garcia trade. Ah, okay. We'll look at that in a minute. Let's see. 14 years in the big leagues, eight with the Tigers, and six with Seattle. Now, unfortunately for you, he came up with Seattle. So none of his final three seasons were in Seattle. Right. 2003 was his final year as a Mariner, 109 games. 359 on base, 394 slugging, 7 home runs, 52 RBI, and a 104 OPS plus, And that is good for a 2.5. Uh, there is nothing on this card that's going to help you out, though. But again, you've, you've, got, you've got a couple of two points here in the last little bit. Uh, as you mentioned, traded by the Astros with a player to be named later and Freddie Garcia to the Mariners for Randy Johnson. Yes. And that player to be named later, of course, was John Halama. Who threw the first perfect game in PCL history. You were there. I was. I remember that. All right. So you are down to your final card. You are at 6.4, which is even for this number of cards is a pretty low score. Yeah. And your final card is a pitcher for the Angels. It is Ramon Ortiz. This is a very uh, ALNL West-centric couple of cards you've you've had here yeah i think ortiz played for about everybody too let's see the first of all the cousin of pedro liriano i did not know that yeah boy he look at this list in 12 years in baseball he i think he played for 13 teams uh he spent six years with the angels but then just a single or part of a season with a lot of different teams in 2003, 16 wins, which was a career high. He went 16 and 13 with a 5.2 ERA. He won that many games with an ERA over five. Well, wow. this is exactly why both wins and ERA are kind of useless statistics at this yeah. point. 180 innings. So he didn't even throw that much. 94 strikeouts. 180 innings and 94 strikeouts. Not a power pitcher by any means. And he gave up 209 hits. This is just an... That Angels team must have scored like 82 runs a game. No kidding. Wow. 85 ERA plus, and all of that equals a minus 0.7 war. Great. Nice ending. (laughs) I'm surprised it's not more, to be honest. (laughs) Those are just some crazy numbers. Way to wrap up. So that'll take your total to 5.7. Out. Dismal. Dismal. Definitely beatable. All right. So, yeah, that's going to do it for you. A 5.7. And uh, we'll head into my cards here and see uh, see how I can do. I, I feel like this is beatable. All right. My first card is first baseman and a, I guess, a legacy player. It is David Segui of the Orioles. Oh, no. That's a minus, minus hey. half right there. There we go. David Segui. Uh Former Mariner. Yeah, I'm hoping uh, one of those last three seasons was in Seattle. <laughs> no, they're all in Baltimore. Uh, let's see. David Segui, uh, as I mentioned, he is the son of Diego Segui. 15 years in the big leagues. Uh, eight with Baltimore. Three with the Expos. So close. And then uh, two and one with a bunch of other teams, including those Mariners in 99. And well, I guess in 98, part of 98. 2003, as a 36-year-old, he only appeared 67 games 341 on base, 384 slugging, five home runs, 25 RBI, and a 93 OPS plus. Still, it's a positive 0.3. On this card, he has got eye black on. So, and he's got sunglasses in that little picture. So this is going to be a wash. 
<laughs> it ends up being a positive 0.5, but then I lose the 0.5 because he's on your team. Well, at least he's got that going for him, okay? All right, so I'm starting off better than you. Yes. <laughs> Not great. Next, I have got, well, this, I swear we pull him almost every other week. Here he is with the Cardinals. It's Andy Bennis. Not Elaine, Andy. That would have been a good Seinfeld subplot to uh, have Elaine be related, related to the Bennises. Yeah. <laughs> Andy and Alan. Uh, of course, Andy here, the number one overall pick by the Padres in 1988. He was a Mariner at one point, but unfortunately not one of his last seasons. Also, unfortunately, his last season was in 2002. So I'm going to get nothing here. There's nothing on the card that's going to help me. Uh, overall, 155-139 career mark, 3.97 ERA, and an even 2,000 strikeouts for his career. Well, he, he didn't finish at 1999. No. He's we were talking about that last Bucking week. the trend. Yes. Yeah, and Pujols, he's, he's got two now. He's got a hit in the next two weeks. And yep. really hope yep. he can do that. All right. Next, I've got a pitcher for the Cardinals. Well, some of these guys, I feel like they just retired, but I'm sure it's been a good while. He is wearing some real stirrups here for the Cardinals. Jason Simontachi. I do not remember this person. With the last name like Simon Tachi, how can you yeah, not remember? I don't know, but I don't. I think that's the greatest Cardinal last name uh, since uh, Newt Bar. Simon Tucci. Uh, also, uh, uh, Red Shondeist. Red Shondeist, yes. Which I think it's Shondeist, isn't it? I don't, I don't know. know. You look at his last name, though, and you just, I, I'm never going to be able to pronounce that. And I think it's Shane Deist. That's Shane what my dad Deist, used to yeah. say anyway. Well, whatever. I mean, he's a legendary, like, oh, yeah. lifer for the Cardinals. Oh, yeah. uh, let's see. Simon Tachi, four years in the big leagues, three with the Cardinals, a final year with the Nats in 2007. 2003, he went 9-5 and five with a 5.6 ERA, got 16 starts, but appeared in 46 games, 126 innings, 74 strikeouts, and a 74 ERA+. Plus. And that will equal a minus 0.1, but he's got the stirrups. So after two cards, I will remain at exactly zero. <laughs> <laughs> Which is odd because it's a better start than I had. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, wow, I'm treading mud at this point. <laughs> oh, wow. He's, he uh, played baseball at the College of Idaho. That is really? uh, a unique school to play baseball at, I will say yeah. that. Also played in the Italian Professional League, where he went 12-1 and with a 1.17 ERA in 2000. Wow, Cy Young of, of Italy. A Cy Young. <laughs> Cy Young of Italy. Uh, all right, so let's see if we can get going here. I don't think this is going to help me at all. I have no idea who this uh, gentleman is. First baseman for Tampa, Steve Cox. Steve Cox. No clue. It, this just sounds to me like somebody that's running for comptroller more than... Oh, and look at it. When you type in Steve Cox, the first thing that comes up is Cox for Congress. There you go. See? Must be a comptroller. Uh, Steve Cox, four years in the big leagues. Final year, 2002. Uh, oh, good. He's got eye black on. And he's got real stirrups on. Steve Cox, you're my hero. Wow. All right. I'm all for Steve Cox. I stand Steve Cox. Let's see. Overall, in his four years, he was pretty much a first baseman, a 340 on base, 417 slugging, 39 career 
home runs. Wow, 158 RBI. So his rookie year, he only appeared in six games. But the final three years, the next three years of his career, he hit 11, 12, and 16 home runs and was only 27 years old. Oh, wow. So I'm wondering if he might have uh, been injured and, and that ended his career or what. I guess we'll find out here in a minute. There, uh, He did go on to play in Japan, though. So, uh, yeah, in 2003, he went and played at Yokohama. Only 15 games. Only hit 200 with one home run. I don't know what happened. All right. I'm down to two. Or I've got three cards left here. I got three cards left, and I am at .2, so I need 5.5 here. We're not moving quickly, but this one might help. Oh, this is good. We've had him recently. Shortstop for my Oakland Athletics. It's Miguel Tejada. Miguel had some very big years. He had an an MVP year, uh, and that was in 2002. I think we pulled him last time we were using these cards, and I think I got him, and I got all excited, and then uh, 2003 was definitely a down year compared to his MVP year prior. He still, uh, let's see, reached base on a 336 clip, had a 472 slugging, average 27 home runs, 106 RBIs, 10 stolen bases, zero caught stealing. 53 walks. He only struck out 65 times. Wow. There was only one time in his 16-year career that he struck out 100 or more times, and then it was only 102. So for such a free swinger, <laughs> he didn't strike out a whole lot. He has career no contact. Yeah, his career batting average 285, <laughs> which is pretty good. A 336 career on base, which is a little low for that kind of an average. But uh, let's see, all of this equals a 111 OPS plus, and that will be a positive 4.9. Now we're cooking. Wow. Nothing uh, nothing doing there on the card, but uh, I will take that 4.9, and uh, that will bring me up to 5.1. I am now 0.6 away with two cards left. Next. Mm-hmm. Oh, this might do it. This, this is going to be good. Also a former athletic, but here he is with the Cardinals, Jason Isringhausen. Uh-oh, yeah. Uh, closers don't score as huge in war as I initially thought they would, but they definitely get points. Yeah, but was he still a starter at this point? I don't That's know. That's a good question. Let's see. In 2003, no, definitely not. 0-1 with a 2.36 ERA in 40 games. He had 22 saves. 42 innings, 41 strikeouts, and a 176 ERA plus. And that equals a war of 1.0. I will take it. Uh, Nothing else on this card is going to help me out. But that bumps me up into the lead with one card left. We've talked about it before. I, I can never remember... The, the Mets pitchers that they were thought they were going to be the next great, like, big three. It was Bill Pulsifer, pa- Paul Wilson, and Jason Isringhausen. That's it. Yes, I remember that. And I would say Izzy went on to have the best career in that as a closer. Yeah. But, yeah, those guys were really, uh, they were going to be, uh, they were going to be the, the next <laughs> dynasty on the the three-headed monster was yeah. going to be Maddox and Smoltz and Glavin all over again. Yeah. All right. So I'm down to my final card. I am currently at 6.1. So as long as I don't lose four-tenths of a point here on this final card, I'm going to be a happy guy. Uh, oh, boy. 
<laughs> I don't know what I don't know what this. Oh no! Well, first of all, he's an Oriole. Oh, nice. That's a that's a good start. This guy was always a portly guy. He's a pitcher. Uh, he was a Mariner at one point too. Uh, I believe it was a bad trade that the Mariners got him at one point at the trying to make a playoff push. It is Sidney Ponson. <laughs> <laughs> there is a name I have not said for a while. Wow, I haven't thought about that in quite a while. Sidney Ponson. Let's see. In 2003, he spent the beginning of the year with Baltimore and then was traded to the Giants. Wow. With the Orioles, he went 14-6 and six with a 3.77 ERA. Ended wow. up 17 and 12 with 3.75, 216 innings pitched, 134 strikeouts, a 118 ERA plus. Uh, let's see, when did it, I guess he was never a Mariner? I thought he was traded to Seattle at one point, but clearly I'm mistaking him with somebody else. Mm-hmm. Let's see, overall, war. Oh, I'm going to like this. Even with that Oriole bonus for you. With the Orioles, he had a 3.4 war, and with the Giants, a 1.1. Wow. So that'll be a 4.5 minus the half, so that'll be a plus 4, and that will take me up to 10.1 and another victory. I'll take it. Wow. Once again, swiping victory from the jaws of defeat. Very nice. Uh, Sidney Ponson is from Aruba, and he, along with Fellow former Oriole Eugene Kingsdale and Calvin Madero have been decorated as knights in the Order of Orange Nassau. Oh, okay. Well, whatever that means, I'm sure it's awesome. So I I guess he's Sir Sidney Ponson. Sir Ponson. Yeah. Do you think they carry swords around? You know, if I am a knight and people are calling me Sir, I think you can carry a sword if you want. And it doesn't even need to be ceremonial. It could be. That's awesome. So now, me one. yeah, we need to, we need to try and become knighted. Uh, yeah. All right. So that's going to do it. That uh, takes me up to nine wins compared to your seven. Head I'm, in, the, in trouble. the right direction. Yeah. All right. So that's going to wrap up this uh, edition of Wax Packs Heroes. It's also going to wrap up the show for this week. Uh, if you cannot get enough of us, you can find us all over on social media. We are at Two Strike Noise. That is at TWO Strike Noise, and uh, you can also find us on the uh, the email in the email box, which we tend to get a lot of emails, so we appreciate it. Mark, you want to tell them about that? Sure, write to us. You can write to us at Two Strike Noise. Spell it out: TWO Strike Noise at gmail.com. I made it real easy for y'all. Yeah, we make it as simple as possible. So uh, we hope to hear from you. We also hope to see you next week when we are here for another episode of Two Strike Noise. Thank you all. God bless you. Have a great day.